1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you were here last time, about a month ago, when we opened up 1 Thessalonians, um, we're just going to cover a couple points just to review again. And for those of you who were not here, um, we'll try to just put it in a capsule so you know where we're going. So um, 1 Thessalonians, as you see up here on the screen, is living within view of the finish line. 1 and 2 Thessalonians are two letters that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. And not only will we see Paul's heart, but you will also see for you and me some of the ingredients of ministry, some of the good and the bad parts of ministry, some of the things that we have to go through as we are ministers and servants of Jesus Christ. In the last two verses of chapter 1, it says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now in 9, one of the things that you have to remember is that Thessalonica was a major, major city. It had many different religious cults. And Paul is coming into one of the major cities with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only truth, the only way, the only way people are going to get life. But he had to combat all these other philosophies and religions. And what he saw in the people, that God grabbed their heart. And one of the first evidences of it was they forsook the idols that were all around them in the temples, in the streets. All the different philosophies that they were faced with, they centered in on Jesus Christ as the truth. One of the things that we looked at last time in chapter 1 is that the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians talks about our future hope. We all have a future hope. So when we feel discouraged, we have a future hope. It's only going to get better. The best days are coming for you and I. No matter what we have to go through in this life, the better days are coming. We have a future hope, and of course that hope is Jesus Christ. Being face-to-face with him. One of the other things is, because of our belief in Jesus, because of our growth in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, by knowing the scripture, by Jesus changing you from the inside out through the power of his Holy Spirit that is in most of you right now who believe. If you believe, the Holy Spirit is living in you. You are a witness to a Christ-forsaking society. You are a witness to those people that you cross paths with every day, whether you know them well or you don't know them. All of you have been in situations where you didn't even know what was going to happen, but you had an opportunity to pray with someone. Or God brings that person to your memory days later just to pray for them. Or maybe you had the great privilege of sharing with them or them asking you questions or just laying a burden of their heart on you for you to just be able to love them as Christ would. So you are a witness to people. One, another one is through Thessalonians, through all the scriptures, you're learning to walk on this planet as a believer in Jesus Christ. You're not the same you were a week ago. You're not the same you were two years ago. And your God is faithful and just. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. He will allow that walk to get stronger and stronger and more sensitive to his lead. 
And as he leads you, you'll see yourself doing a lot of God things in your actions, in your non-actions, in your thoughts, in your speech. Also, through the God's word, it will bring comfort to you. It'll be that peace that passes all understanding in the midst of a storm. And some of you, as I know, have gone through storms of life. But I also know you came through the storms. There's a peace, there's a comfort that only God can bring. That same comfort that God brings us, as witnesses, we can bring to others. And finally, there's a stability in our walk. There's a stability in our life. We're not double-minded people, are we, like we used to be? Tossed every which way with different doctrines and philosophies and feelings. We should be more stable as we grow in the Lord because our feet are on the rock, Jesus Christ. It's not on a house of sand or on sand that just is moved. Jesus, our rock. We talked about last time, um, Paul, just again, the traveling he did way back then when there was no mechanical travel. It was on foot or by mule or by horse. And the distance that he covered was phenomenal. Just up here, just 400 miles uh, if you went by sea, 300 miles if you took the land route. And Paul did both when he went here. And the distance he traveled, he he was a man focused and called to a ministry as a bond servant, a willing slave of Jesus Christ, which you and I are called to be in our walk with Christ. And that never stops till we meet him face to face. It doesn't matter, young or old. He's calling us, he's developing, he's, he's making us into those people he wants us to be. Paul's mission took a few years to cover this distance. Right now, we're up in Thessalonica, up in the left corner. If you remember, he came from Philippi, where he was in prison with Silvanus or Silas, the same name, it's the same person, Silas and Silvanus. He was in prison. He was also with Timothy, but Timothy wasn't thrown in prison. It was these two guys, and Timothy went on and met Paul in Thessalonica. Now, one of the things before we jump into two is a thing that, in preparation for tonight, that kept coming on to my heart, is the message tonight's title is um, Heart Exam. That's the title of the message of 2 Thessalonians, Heart Exam. You know, if you've ever gone to have your heart tested, you know, they might put different electrodes, different parts of your chest. And... If they don't give you a stress test, just by those pads on you, they're reading your heartbeats, they're reading the, reading the strength of the beats. You know, if they do an ultrasound, they can actually hear the blood, how it's flushing in your heart as your heart contracts and relaxes. And you can hear the flow of the blood as it goes through there. And they can see the chambers as they move the ultrasound around your chest. Then if they put you on a treadmill or a bicycle and you have to do a stress test, as you're being stressed, it shows how strong your heart is. Now, from a spiritual point of view, when we go through the things in life, maybe you've gone through things today. It's testing your spiritual strength of your heart. I think we have spiritual heart exams every day. Don't you? I think we always go through things that show our heart where it is in relationship to, uh, our, to Jesus Christ, our relationship with him. Just some quick things. Uh, what's the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Uh, what keeps you up at night worrying? What do you turn to when you are in need? What do you talk about, dream about, and spend most of your day thinking about? What can you imagine your life never being good without? What would you fill in the blank when you say, all I need is blank and I'll be happy? Well, that's a a little hard exam, depending on your answers to those questions. 
Of course, we know just back in these days, like today, nothing's changed. We don't have the little idols like you see on the far left here with uh, Bozo the Clown and the uh, calf there. You know, we don't, we don't have those little things there, but we do have the money, the sex, the TV, the safety and comfort of our lives, and of course, down in the bottom right corner, different things that alter our mind and our spirit. Different things that we could put into our body to change. And then finally, uh, 1 Thessalonians turned about, uh, chapter 1 talked about just turning from those things that are taking your attention away from Jesus. What are those things that might be distracting you from a, a, being a sincere and hard follower of Christ? Serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. And we'll look at that a little bit tonight. And just waiting on the Lord. Waiting on his return. First Thessalonians talk about the return of Christ. We're going to get in in chapter 4, the rapture of the church. So now as we go to the um, second chapter of Thessalonians, one of the things that God wants to do through his word, through his Holy Spirit, is to help us stay strong in our walk with him. Until we leave this planet, he wants us to stay strong. He wants us to live ready at all times, ready to go, ready to go into eternity, ready to go to where he sends us, always living ready. And like I said, the message tonight is on a heart exam. Some of the things we're going to look at are just going to examine where we are in our heart and we're going to see the heart of Paul that came as a result of all his different missionary journeys and the churches he opened and the people he ministered to. So let's jump into chapter 2, uh, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now besides what we're going to see that Paul did, understand that we're going to look at ministry tonight. We're going to look at some of the things that are ingredients in ministry. And one of the first things in ministering, and understand that you are all ministers of Jesus Christ if you're a follower of Christ. You don't have to be a pastor or an elder. You don't have to have a title. You're a child of God. And as a child of God, you are a servant, a bond servant. A bondservant is one who willingly wants to serve his master. It's a choice that we all have. It's a choice that hopefully we all make. And as a bondservant, as a servant, we're not only servants of Christ, we're his children. We're his, we're his children, we're his sons, we're his daughters. And that relationship is something that grows, hopefully, every single day of your life, every single second. So in this first verse, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. First of all, that coming, this is not, you will never see in this church a video of one of the pastors or elders teaching on that screen while the other pastors or elders are sitting here or teaching at another church. That coming is very important. That coming is a meeting. It's an interaction. It's a flesh and blood. It's an interaction with people where you know each other's heart. Just as Jesus knew the heart of the men he hung out with, with for three years. Jesus knows your heart. We want to continue to grow in the knowledge of his heart. And we do that by spending time Bible studies here. Bible studies on your own. Bible studies in your home with others. Google does not have all the answers. It doesn't. Yet, they say that kids are not 
listening to uh, the God because they think they can get all their answers from Google. It's only a, a type away from them getting an answer. But we have to understand in this age of technology that's getting crazy with these robots and all, that we need to stay in touch with the living creator. I don't know if you're aware there is a man who believes that an artificial intelligent robot is going to be worshipped. He's going to make him a god and people are going to worship him. The thing is, it's probably true. We see in the book of Revelation that there's going to be an image of the beast, an image of the Antichrist that's going to speak. Could that be a robot? We're in that era right now. We're right there where the Bible is speaking about these things. God's word is eternal. It's beyond time and space. Time and space don't have the answers. The professors don't have those answers for eternity. God's word does. And notice that Paul said, we didn't come to you in vain. We didn't come to you empty. We didn't come to you without results. Verse 2, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. There was a boldness. There's a boldness in a believer in Jesus Christ that's led by his spirit, isn't there? Have you ever seen yourself and surprised yourself at your boldness in the things of God? Those are God moments. Those are God things that he's worked in you. His spirit is building you to be bold. And how much boldness do we need today in this generation of so many things that are going on? And notice that Paul was spitefully treated in Philippi. His wounds were still fresh on his back when he was in Thessalonica. I think it was 100 miles between the two towns or two cities. So those wounds on his back were fresh. So he knew that he was taking a chance by going to Philippi because the same thing could happen to him again. But he was bold, and notice where his boldness came from. It was in our, his God. Your boldness doesn't come by you having any kind of mental gymnastics that you work yourself up, that you can do it, you can do a positive thing, the power of positive thinking. It doesn't work that way. You're bold in your God. God gives you that boldness. It's holy boldness brought about by his Holy Spirit. And what was he bold in? It was speaking the gospel. That Jesus Christ came to die for your sins. He was crucified. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. And he promises that he's going to come back again one day. The gospel. We're all sinners. All fall short. All of us have sinned. Fall short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. There's only one. There's no other way we can get to heaven. He provided the only way. He made it very simple. But the world, the flesh, and the devil have complicated that. And people have become confused. They need people who are people of integrity, of boldness, of spirit-ledness to love them and show them the way. That conflict, uh, one of the word conflict comes from is agon, A-G-O-N. And agon comes from athletic games, like a race or a struggle or a wrestling match. It's an intense exertion. It's a persistent effort to beat the opponent or any antagonist. And we see it in that verse. The gospel of God and much conflict. It's not going to be easy all the time. It's going to be a struggle, both internally and could be externally. It could be hard for you to want to tell others about Christ. It's a struggle. We need to rely on our God, don't we? To give us that strength, to give us the words to say. To not worry about what man or woman's reaction is to us but just to please God. We just want to honor God. We just want to please him in those moments. 
Verse 3, for our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Paul had pure motives. He just was beaten in Philippi. He wasn't a masochist that he wanted to come to Thessalonica to be beaten again. His motives were pure. He was honoring his God. Regardless of the cost. Regardless of the cost. So we see Paul's heart. But we also see the call to ministry is not always easy. Now, we're not at that point in our, our society in the United States where you're going to be in prison or beaten. I think we've got a reprieve for a few years. But what is the prison that you might be in? Maybe just sharing that gospel. You feel awkward. Well, you know what? Just dive more into God's word. Just ask him to give you that boldness. And we see here in three, it was based on the truth of God's word. Paul wasn't making up his doctrine. It was given to him through God's word. And he had pure motives. He wasn't there trying to deceive others. As remember, anything outside of Christ, any religion or philosophy outside of Christ-centeredness is deceitful, right? It's deceitful. It's a deception. Yet there are millions of people that follow deception because they don't know God's word. They don't trust God's word. Verse 4, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel... Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Our hearts are being tested right now, isn't it, as we go through these verses? We're doing a check, like, where am I right now? Where are you right now with some of the things that God is revealing to us in his word? You are called, the Bible said. God said he's calling you to be his son and to his daughter. If you've reacted to that call, you know you're chosen by him. And if you're chosen by him, you want to do things that are going to honor him and please him. You're not a man or woman pleaser. You're a God pleaser. And sometimes I think, right, we have to un remember that. We're on this planet to please the Lord, not to please other people. That's important. And so it is in ministry. We're not a seeker-friendly church. We're here to give the truth. And sometimes the truth is not pleasant. It's, it's a checkpoint. It, it, it hits you. You might not agree with it. Why? Because maybe you're going contrary to God's word. And you don't like what's being said. But the truth can stand on its own. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that the truth could be known. He rose from the dead to verify what he was saying. Verse 5, For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. God is our witness. God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, is a majority. He's a witness. In this verse right here, we see there wasn't any flattery of Paul's words. He didn't candy coat the gospel. He didn't use his position or his words to cloak an ulterior motive. He wasn't trying to rip off people. He didn't have an, uh, an agenda that was greedy for gain. And he knew that God knew his heart. God knows your heart. God knows my heart. Bill said up here, you know, we sin every day. We should be, and Pastor Joe said it hundreds of times. We need to confess our sins daily. Because we're always off a little bit, aren't we? In our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. And when we do have a pretty good day, thank God. That, hey, Lord, thank you for a great day. But Lord, I'm sorry for that thought. Sorry for that action. Keep purifying yourself before the Lord, allowing him to make you pure just by being honest with him, just talking to your dad, 
Just say, Dad, help me in this area. Keep me stronger. Verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul, again, wasn't looking for human influence. He was looking to, for godly influence. In Proverbs 16, 9, it says, Man plans his ways, but God directs his steps. Now, you might be a person that you have your goals, you have your agenda, and you're just going out there, going after it. But think of this verse in Proverbs. Man plans his ways, but God directs his steps. How about our main concern is, Lord, guide my steps today. You guide me by the power of your Holy Spirit. And then the way you go will be his way instead of of your way. And we can see just from Paul's life, he wasn't looking for glory for men. Look at all the beatings he went through. Look at all the imprisonments he went through. And he's going on to Thessalonica and he's going to be going to Berea from here and down to Corinth from here. He's not looking for man's glory, but he's looking for God's glory as we should. And he made no demands as an apostle of Christ. He didn't use his influence for any kind of gain. His main thing was to share the gospel, and once people received him, to build those people up, to nurture them, to help them to grow. We're doing that every time we meet. We're all growing in God's word. You can never grow enough, can you? We can never grow enough. God's calling us to be faithful to his word, to meet together, to go over his doctrine to fellowship with each other, to help each other, to pray for one another. Verse 7, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. You know, we, uh, Pastor Paul uh, went through Proverbs 31, and to be a, th- a Proverbs thir- 31 woman should be the goal of every female should be the goal of every female, a Proverbs 31 woman. But here we see a, a mother. What are some of the traits of a mom? She's willing to lay down her life for her child. She's gentle. She's protective. She feeds. She teaches. She herself is immaterial to the needs of her child. She eats food. And it's transformed into milk by which he feeds her baby. You as believers in Christ, you're feeding off of God's word so you can share and nourish others. When it comes to this passage, it doesn't matter whether you're a guy or a girl. We all can nourish others through understanding and be able to teach his word and to be able to share his word with others. Verse 8, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Ministry, as Paul shows us, as Jesus showed us, what is it? It's a life investment. It's an investment in other lives. And we go back to that mother. Think about Is the mother on call just from 7 a.m. till 5 p.m.? And then her day's over? No. She's on call 24-7. So are we who minister the gospel of God. And remember, you are all ministers. When does God call you? It might be in a very inconvenient time. Guess what? That's a hard exam, isn't it? That's a test. There's a test there. So there's a life investment that we're seeing in ministry in verse 8. We know Paul's life investment. We know Jesus' life investment. They were willing to go to their deaths 
to glorify and do what God wanted them to do. There's a time investment when you are serving the Lord. There's a time investment. There's an interaction with people who might rub you the wrong way. You know, that, that child, that baby, the teenagers, most of the time they're just concerned with who? Themselves. They're not concerned with your comfort as a mom or a dad. They're not concerned with that. That would be a unique, rare, miracle child. But what's happening is you're building in, you're, you're nurturing, you're taking care of. And we've seen that in ministry. Sometimes it's a thankless job. But then we have to say to ourselves, well, who am I doing this for? Am I looking to get thanks from men? Or am I looking to give glory to God? It's a heart exam. There's a love relationship in ministry. Paul showed it. Again, I'm just going to keep referring right now to Philippi. He was beaten there. He's put in shackles. There's a love relationship. He showed his love by what he was willing to go through for people he might have met just for the first time. How are we, what are we willing to go through with people we meet just the first time, the 30th time, the 10th year time? Are we satisfied where we are? Or do we want to continually be people who nourish and build into others? without thought of ourselves. Love that example that hell is people just like this, they can't bend their arms and there's, a, there's food all along. There's a banquet table right in front of them and you're sitting across from me, we're in hell right now and we can't feed ourselves and we starve. But yet in heaven, everybody has the same arms. But guess what? They're feeding each other across the table. They're not concerned with themselves. They're trying to feed others. And boy, what a great picture that is of what God wants us to do. Not to worry about ourselves, but to reach out and feed each other. That can be physically, but it can, more importantly, spiritually. Verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and our toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. And remember, he's shown, these people were witnesses to him. They knew Paul and Silas and Timothy. They knew their investment. They saw their time. They saw their energy. They saw their labor. They saw their heartache. They saw their stripes. They saw their tiredness and their effort to keep on going. They saw that they weren't punching in a clock. They knew that that ministry was 24-7. Now, did they rest? Of course they rested. But did they get a call in the middle of the night or somebody came in and say, Paul, so-and-so is sick? I believe Paul like people here, have gotten up and gone to minister to the sick at different hours of the day, not during the punch-in-the-clock time. There's no punch-in-the-clock for children of God. Verse 10, You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Their behavior was evident. Their behavior was very clear how devout they were. They were serious about what they were doing. They were just. They didn't play favorites. They treated everybody the same. There were no power clicks. They loved everybody in the family of God. All the people, young and old, were very important. And they were blameless. There was no charge that could be held against them unless they were outside of God's family and then they'd be slander and lies. 
Verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. A dad is someone who should be a strong encourager of his children. He should be an instructor. He should bring discipline. He should also bring comfort. He should also show them the way, bring them alongside and participate in those things that are going on, showing interest. Well, this is what a minister does. This is what Paul did. And we, half of the, over half of the New Testament is written by Paul. And we get a great picture of a servant's heart. But there's no better servant than Jesus Christ in just his three years here, what he did. What he did to minister to his children. Verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You see, the word works. When you're in God's word, remember, Jesus is the word of God. When you're in his word, you become more and more like Jesus. So the word works. Jesus works. But you first must believe Now, you might believe in Jesus Christ, but do you believe what he says that you should be in his word? That you should meditate on it, chew on it, understand it, make it a part of you. You can never get enough of God's word. It's washing your brain from the filth of this world. It's washing you from the sin nature that you were born with and I was born with. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We get a piece of God's kingdom here on this earth by having him reside in in us. But better days are coming when we experience his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, with the king reigning on his throne. But here he shows us who he is. We understand part of that kingdom, don't we, when we see him in our lives, when we see him in other people's lives. To walk worthy of God, you have to know him. To walk worthy of somebody, you have to know who you're following. You have to love that person. You have to listen to him. You have to follow him. You have to, in a blinding or a dark situation, you have to be receptive to his voice. So you have to know his voice, even in dark times and blind times. Have you ever been in a blind time in your life? Or a dark time where you didn't think... God was there, you have to be sensitive to the lead of his Holy Spirit, and you do that through maturity. You do that as you grow in the grace and knowledge of him. It's not unique to you to feel like you're alone. That's okay. Sometimes in that aloneness is where you really come to know Jesus better. Paul found Jesus even more when he was in prison in those dark times that gave him the knowledge and the grace and that intensity and focus to go out back into the world. Always remember that, to, that those blind times, that might be the best time to really come to, to that relationship with the Lord. To know him, to trust him, and to apply his word. You need to know his word, right, in order to apply it. Verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Remember all the different philosophies. Remember everything that was going on in the town, in the city of Thessalonica all the different religions, all the different idols, all the different things that were going on. But they did not, they were not persuaded. They held on to the word of God. And Paul saw that in their lives. We receive the word of God. May it never be something we receive as a routine. May we never just read God's word and not look for God supernaturally to speak to us through his word. Lord, right now, 
if I'm not thinking of your word as I should, change my heart, change my mind. Reveal to me the wonderful truths that are in your word. Verse 14, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. There could be persecution. You could be persecuted by loving somebody in the name of Jesus. That persecution might be just mockery. It might be being fired from your job. It might be not getting a position in your job because you're a born-again, you're one of those born-again believers. You bet your life you're one of those born-again believers. Jesus said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. Paul went to his death, believing that. Jesus went to his death for you and I so that we would believe that. We could be let down, we could be discouraged, we could get frustrated. All part of those things that we might have to go through as sons and daughters of Christ. Verse 15, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they do not please God and are contrary to all men. So we see that they even killed Jesus. The Jewish people who didn't believe even killed their own prophets that were sent to them. And they're persecuting us. They're getting people against Paul, against the apostles to chase them down, to chase them out, to stone them, to whip them. But understand that all those people, contrary to God, as that last part of verse 15 says, they don't please God. And remember what our main purpose is, just to please God, to, to, just to know God and make him known just to do the things that God wants us to do. Verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Paul and the people that follow Christ were forbidden in some areas to speak to Christ, about Christ. Boy, don't we see that in our society today here in the United States? that we can't speak about Christ in our public schools. The state says there has to be a separation of church and state. But what is the state doing now? Now they're talking about, now they're making biblical decisions on who's a man and who's a woman, who's a boy and who's a girl. So the very thing they're telling us not to do as believers in Christ, the mixture of the church and state, they're coming into the church and messing with the things of God. The real hate crimes that are being committed in this world is the prevention of letting people know about Jesus Christ. That's the real hate crime. We, as believers, want to tell others about the hope we have in Christ, about the great things that are coming, even though this world has given up hope and is hopeless in many areas. Number one cause of suicide among teenagers is suicide. These are young kids, in the, not even in the prime of their life yet, that are giving up hope. Why? Because the world is lying to them. Their flesh is lying to them. The Bible was taken out of the schools, and the prayer was taken out of the schools in the 60s. And boy, what have they reaped since then? The National Education Association is pushing Islam in the schools now. Across the country, they want to get more of what Islam is. is. But you do that with Christianity or any of the other religions, it's never been done. You don't see that. In my 44 years, I've never had a where they're pushing Christianity in the public schools. But now the National Education Association is doing that. And here we see with Paul, 
You know, he was forbidden. They were being forbidden to speak to the Gentiles, those who need to know about God. There are billions of people on this planet today that need to know about God. And some will be put in your path and my path. Verse 17, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Now, as a result of these men and women who were against Paul, some of them came from Philippi and they followed Paul to Thessalonica. And they were raising up the crowd. They were spreading lies about these guys. They were trying to get them beaten again or killed or chased out of town. Well, one of the things that God wanted Paul to do do is to leave Thessalonica because of the persecution and also some of the people there that were going to be persecuted who were going to stay in the church of Jesus Christ in Thessalonica. So Paul left rather than put this in jeopardy. But because of that persecution, we get the letters of one and two Thessalonians. So what Satan meant for evil, God turns into good. We would never have these letters if the persecution wasn't going on. And Paul from here goes to Berea, and the Bereans received Paul. But they didn't take his word for it. What did they do? What we all should do is get into the scriptures to see if what is being said is true. And you should do that with every person who gets up here and speaks. Check the word of God to see if what we're saying is true. In that verse 17, we love the presence of an eternal family. All of us will be that believe in Jesus Christ, that have received and put our trust in him as Lord and Savior. We're going to be with each other for eternity. There are heart relationships. There are physical relationships. Paul had to leave Thessalonica. His heart was still there. It wasn't a physical relationship anymore where it was hands-on. But his heart was there. You see, man cannot take away heart relationships. Physical relationships are temporary. Heart relationships are eternal in Christ. We have to always remember that. The heart relationship is huge. One day, those those who went before us to heaven that are no longer walking on this earth, we're going to have a great reunion, and we look forward to that day. I can't wait to see some of my brothers and sisters in Christ again. Great reunion coming. And Paul addresses this in the book of 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Verse 18, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan, his demonic army, his demonic team, the world, the flesh, will try to do the same thing to you. That word hindered also was a military term when uh, an army was hindered. What would happen if they were going along a road? The road would be destroyed so the army following couldn't travel as easy. There were obstacles put in the way. Well, Satan, the world, the flesh, and his demonic team will try to bring discouragement, will try to fan your pride, try to magnify your guilt, will try to make you feel that you're unforgiven, will try to bring destruction and division. You have to know the strategy of the enemy for what it is. If any of those things draw you to Christ, it's the Holy Spirit leading you to the cross. If any of these things drive you away from church or Christ or spending time with believers, know it's the enemy working. What spirit is guiding you is something we always need to be sensitive to. Verse 19, For what is our hope? 
or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? One day, all of us will be together in God's presence. How awesome is that going to be when we're looking at Christ and we see each other there? What is that going to be like? I have no idea because I've never been there yet. But what is it going to be like? It's going to be awesome. And if the Lord takes us all up one day at the same time into the clouds, how awesome is that going to be? What is the joy that's going to be in our heart? What is the feeling that's going to be going on in our heart? And what is going to be the feeling if you led somebody to Jesus Christ or said the sinner's prayer with somebody? Or we're praying for that person throughout your life. You don't know the effect, yet you see them going up with you in the air or you see them in heaven one day. Or you see them at the second coming of Christ. What a thrill, what a joy that's going to be to see those people in the presence of Jesus Christ. And finally, for you, in verse 20, for you are our glory and our joy. Paul was saying to the people in Thessalonica that you are our pride and our joy. When we stand before the Lord, there are different crowns. There's a crown of righteousness. There's a crown of life. There's a crown of glory. There's an incorruptible crown, and there's a crown of rejoicing. The crown of life. The crown of rejoicing. Think about these crowns. And understand that one of the things for our glory, of course, is in the presence of Jesus, but it's going to be even greater as we see believers that you impacted for God's kingdom. And as we all know, that one of the things that happens at the throne as we close is we take those crowns and we throw them at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because if it wasn't for him, we would never even know about the crowns. If it wasn't for him, there would be no joy, there would be no hope, there would be no salvation. And as we look here, not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. And that little blue section, we fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Let's pray.